0: hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Perry Blackshear, a filmmaker whose moody, unsettling features They Look Like People, The Siren, and the new When I Consume You, which just came out on digital and on demand, wrap rich character studies within a textured genre framework, telling stories of vulnerable people grappling with profound issues long before the paranormal stuff finds them. His movies haunt you, and I mean that in the best possible way. Perry picked Absentia, the breakthrough feature from the now omnipresent genre filmmaker Mike Flanagan, who followed it with movies like Oculus, Ouija, Origin of Evil, Doctor Sleep, and episodic series for Netflix like The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass. But it all started here, with a micro-budget study of a woman named Callie, played by Katie Parker, coming to stay with her sister Tricia, played by Courtney Bell, after a long separation. Trisha's long-missing husband, Daniel, is about to be declared legally dead, and Trisha needs Callie's support. Except that strange things are happening around Trisha, and before too long, they're happening to Callie as well. Oh, and a quick note about the sound. For some reason, my mic decided to be incredibly sensitive when we recorded and picked up all kinds of vibrations, and I've done my best to fade out and work around them, but it's weird. Hopefully it won't be too bad. Anyway, this is someone else's movie.
1: I I believe it was his first sort of... uh... Um, major film that he did, uh, but it, uh, it was made for uh, not too much money. I mean, almost nothing, you know, I think probably family and friends, uh, you know, or, or savings. And um, with friends in the cast sort of bootstrapped in the same way that we made They Look Like People. Um, and it was a huge inspiration for me with, with They Look Like People. Uh, and it sort of set me off on a different trajectory And that's why I picked it, because I've seen tons and tons of movies that I loved and, you know, mattered so much. But this one um, had such an enormous impact sort of practically on my life uh, that that I wanted to talk about it. And and, uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, I definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's a great lever into your own work, too, because the moment you picked it, it all made sense. Like, it's one of those films where so much is hinted at rather than shown. It's not as interesting, I think, to just mm-hmm. ex- to, to deliver all the exposition that the characters need because it keeps us as needy as they are. We're, we're just given this glimpse into something much, much larger. Um, not just they look like people, but also uh, When I Consume You is kind of exactly the same. There's something going <laughs> on that people aren't privy to, right? That that mm-hmm. It's it's the... I just did a, a conversation. I just had a conversation with someone uh about oh it was I, I did an episode of uh of a program a cable series uh, sorry uh, there's a channel up here called hollywood suite it's a streaming channel and service mm-hmm. they've done a, a package of sort of retrospective documentaries on films and the and i did an episode called cinema or sorry I, uh, cinema a to z but i did the episode on books mm-hmm. and they had me talk about lovecraft and i said like the the real impossibility of a Lovecraft adaptation is that you cannot show the thing that drives people Mm. insane. And that's every single one of his stories, right? Like it's about people who pierce the veil and pay for it dearly. And your films and, and this one film of Flanagan's are all about the veil.
1: Yeah. That's a great way of saying that. I think that, yeah, there's something, um, there was something so, Dangerous about some of the ideas. Dangerous isn't quite the right word, but it's like people use the phrase existential horror. And I feel like that makes it sound more intellectual than it is. Um like I think one of the fun about horror movies is there's this monster, and the monster came to the thing. And then if you fight the monster and win, hooray, you know, evil is vanquished, kind of. Um, but the 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 especially the ending of this movie, the way it is hinted at. And the way that they tried to describe it with science, but can't. And this idea that there is something so much worse than, worse than death, which is this damnation zone that you can get into. Um, I also loved it. Well, I'll, I'll just talk about it. So sure, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the thing that you said before about um, how you can never see it. The two, there's many scenes that stick out, but the ones, and I think I, because he's be, he later after this became sort of a mentor and um, I sold a TV show through his company oh, that's great! Um, and I've shadowed him. And I mean, he's a, everything about the way he, in addition to the movies he makes and the work he does, he, I talked to his crew and they were like, I'm never working for another director. And like <laughs> when I was on set with him, random celebrities would come by and be like, just to hang out <laughs> oh. and, and be like, Hey Mike, can you like put me in this movie? And he was like, no, I can't. <laughs> Your manager would never allow me to like put you randomly in this movie. And they're like, "Come on!" And so it, it's like building this family of people. That anyway, so um, it's not just the film itself, but when I looked at the the behind the scenes of sort of how he works and the people he works with, that that mattered a lot to me too. Um, but I told him that scene in the in the bathroom where she's doing brushing her teeth, and then there's the shower curtain there, and she looks around. And it is such a simple scene, but the way he's planted what could be behind there beforehand, Paranormal Activity does a really good job about this, is they like give you these little like brain fears, these sort of mind worms that sit there. Um,
0: Yeah, I have a running gag about the Paranormal Activity movies where they've made seven (laughs) of them and they've never done The Fridge Door. Like it's always every episode, the French door opens and swings and blocks our view. Yeah. And I've seen most of them with audiences and people just start tensing in ripples. You can see people's yep. shoulders going up and they have <laughs> never paid it off. And at this point, it's a conscious decision.
1: Yeah, I just totally. think it's wonderful. That's a good way of putting that. Yeah, yeah. I just, I remember, I remember um, Blair Witch coming out and then walking home in the woods about 15 minute walk in the dark <laughs> in my house one time. And thinking, like, I can deal with this, whatever. I've walked because I, I used to do that walk all the time prior to Blair Witch. No big deal. It's just the woods near my house. Sure. In the dark, it doesn't matter. It's the woods, you know. And I got about halfway in. And the and whatever mind worm was in me just wouldn't let me. It was too frightening. And there was nothing different about the woods. It was just what was it what was in my head made it impossibly frightening. And I think that is why I, that's what I took away from that. I like, I like. Was trying to escape into the wall during that little shower scene. I was squirming and I just, uh, I I don't know, he never released you in the way that I think, you know, and and, um, there was another scene like that where she goes down to the basement and it's silent and it's just her head and it sort of slowly goes past her head into the dark, into nothing for way too long. No scary sounds, it just gets totally dead. And then I think you see like a like two or three frames of something, and then it cuts.
0: Just a shit. And it
1: and it felt like that same that same spine, like somatic feeling when you stick your hand into a dark place and you just have to take it out. Like something is functioning at a deeper level that I couldn't. Watch anymore? <laughs> yeah,
0: the best example of that one, I think, is the push into darkness in Lost Highway, where the hallway just
1: keeps mm-hmm. going. Like, there's a shadow mm-hmm. in the
0: hallway, and you just wait and wait and wait. And again, you see it with an audience, and you see exactly where everyone's tolerance point is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's not the same, right? Like yep. the, the the release of nervous laughter. I mean, I remember seeing Oculus. I think it might have even been a TIFF actually, mm-hmm. um, and having people go along with the fun of it about the way the mirror plays with perceptions. And again, this is a film that achieves its greatest moments with almost no effects. It's all dialogue and performance. And um, I saw that before I saw Absentia. But then Absentia is like, oh, yeah, that's absolutely his thing. Like, he's just owning (laughs) his instrument. Um, And watching Oculus play with perspective and Mm -hmm. our perspective in the way that it does, Mm -hmm. some people were not happy. There's nervous laughter, and then there's like angry, like "God damn it, you got me!" and that kind of weird twitch that happens. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was great because he plays people like, um like a Hammond organ, like just yeah, the, rolling through an audience. And, and like, the one thing that's really crushed me about the pandemic is having to watch all these horror movies by myself.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think so. I came to horror pretty late. Oh yeah. And I think for me, they mostly have been myself and the relationship with the movie almost like a going on a date with a movie, you know what I mean? Uh, As opposed to the collective experience, which is interesting now that I think about that. Cause I have seen, I saw hereditary in theater, which was great. I remember seeing um, paranormal activity in the theater, which was great because you definitely get those waves of collective experience. Um, uh, But that sort of intimacy of some of the stuff that that he does, I think is, is uh, what I love. I also, I mean, I think the, Midnight Mass may be my favorite TV show I've ever seen, um, so I mean that's not what we're talking about here today. But no, it's
0: you, you got room. Go ahead. I'm trying to think of a of a through line for all of his films because mm-hmm. that's you know like my brain tries to do that with yep. any new thing because that will help me deal with whatever's about to happen to me, uh, <laughs> especially in horror. And yeah. his all of his work does seem to be rooted in the fear that you're not in control of your world, that, that things are happening mm. that not only are you missing out on but you can't comprehend them mm-hmm. and Dr. Sleep does it and uh, all of his television work all of his Netflix shows do it but he has sort of perfected this one thing of something's in the wall and you can't quite see it uh-huh. like just a flitting aspect at the edge of your perception and to do yeah. that on a two dimensional screen the way he does with, with mm-hmm. everything, that's like, that takes incredible confidence that you can sell the illusion, but also confidence in your actors, confidence in your cinematographer. Like, I, uh, the one time I spoke to him was for Oculus, and he said, like, if it if he didn't know they could have pulled it off, if he didn't uh-huh. know that they could make an inanimate object terrifying, or at yeah. least <laughs> convince you that other people found it terrifying, yeah, yeah. then there would be no point to making the movie. So he just, yep. the way he explained it was he psychs himself up for the concept and then plunges in when he writes it. Uh-huh. But it starts think, in Absentia.
1: Yeah, I I think so. You know, it, it may be one of those things like a Rorschach, Rorschach test. You sort of see what you you know see what you love in there, which is good. I think you know filmmakers, good filmmakers, a lot of people can see a lot of things in there. Uh, you know that they can relate to. Um, but I think the one of the 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 real thing because it's a it's a great movie, Absentia. But um, the thing that made me think differently about horror because I actually, my, my big film when I was at NYU grad school was a musical <laughs> okay. and I had done a little bit of comedy and some sort of psychological work because I loved subjective, you know, using camera and sound to create a subjective experience. I had always really liked that, but I had never seen a movie that, you know, there was a drama and then it was really scary, but they both made each other better like the the, the the sister's relationship and their sort of spiritual and personal struggles, the horror kind of brought that to life in a visceral, unintellectual, but sort of somatic way. And then they just, they made each other better. They didn't exist in parallel. And he said something in an interview, which I repeat constantly, which was like, he was like, I didn't see this as a horror movie. To me, it was a movie about people going through very scary things. And that changed everything because I think horror movies have their own. It's sort of like punk or heavy metal where it, it's, it's like very much a genre that is a series of promises to the audience about what you can expect. There'll be scares. There'll be this and this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes that noise drowns out, um, you know, like the the people in the center and the sort of heart of it all. And some movies like that could be great, but I think his, people have been trying to make horror TV shows for a million years. And other than anthologies, I don't know. I could be wrong about this and maybe twilight zone and stuff, but they ever really stuck until haunting a Hill house. And the reason for that, um, I guess American horror story, although that's an anthology, but yeah, um, it's different.
0: It's, the machinery is different and it's also more baroque. I mean, the American horror yeah. story is almost self parody from the jump. Yeah, and and yeah. that's part of its yeah. selling point. That's the Ryan yeah. Murphy promise, right? That it's going to yeah. be huge. But yeah. yeah, you're right. Flanagan deals in an intimacy that...
1: that... And he, he really makes you love these characters. And In Haunting a Hill House, by season five, I was so... I mean, episode five, I loved all five of them. And I was ready for anything. And and you have to... I have to really love characters and love their relationships so that when things get really dark, I... It's like it's so much scarier because it's someone you care about that feels like you or your sister or your... You know, and, and it, it's a different... It brings you inside of the circle of intimacy with horror, rather than just looking at these dumb teenagers dying, which is, you know, it's a, its own kind of enjoyment. But now it's happening to you, or your daughter, or whatever, and it's it, it's a very different feeling for me. Um, so that idea that horror could be so heartfelt and sort of spiritual, uh, I think changed the way I saw, you know, genre basically after after this movie
0: yeah I can see that. He offers it's sort of the the golden ratio of, of horror right where <laughs> yeah it's not that there is any self-aware release. It's not mm-hmm. no one looks in the camera the way they do in found footage films and just makes it okay for a second for people to be watching this. Yeah, uh, nobody jokes about you know not listening to the warnings or anything that there is absolutely mm-hmm. no condescension mm-hmm. to the genre in mm-hmm. his films. And you can make a Cabin in the Woods movie and have it be a blast. You can have...
1: I love, great. Yeah, yeah totally.
0: Or, or the Evil Dead films where they're, you know, like they're playful. Although the first one is an absolute just nightmare, which I love about it. Yeah. Um, but the ones that situate the impossible or the inexplicable in something approximating normal life, I mm-hmm. just find... I mean, you can do something like The Exorcist where it's shot like a documentary, but it's really... You know, just this horror story about a family, a mother and daughter. It's not even a nuclear family. It's just two people yeah. who have already started to grow apart before everything awful happens. Uh, Stephen yeah. King you know, like famously wrote that it was about, uh, it was William Peter Blatty trying to put a Catholic face on, on the sexual revolution in the teenage rebellions of the 60s and, and wow. parents feeling disassociated from their kids who were all just going wild mm-hmm. and making it the devil's fault and turning that into a, a, a challenge of a different yeah, yeah. sort. Um, and then by shooting it like a documentary, can just makes it absolutely real and terrifying. Like it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a dirty, ugly film about horrible things happening. Yeah. And Absentia, just because I think of the budgetary restrictions, similarly feels like we're sitting in a room with people. Like that yep. it's just, I, I was all set. I revisited it last week and I was all set to look at it as the sort of a, you know, like a fawn stumbling away from its mother standing up and running the <laughs> yeah. first time. Cause I remember yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it felt like it had paled in comparison to Oculus, but that's because Oculus just looks cleaner and shinier it's, and has movie Yeah. Stars it's really in. slick that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And this yeah. one is like, this is a Cassavetes picture where yeah. something terrible is also around.
1: Yeah, Yeah. That's, that's funny. You mentioned Cassavetes. I think the, the, because it's so real. Yeah. I feel like the, the horror hits differently.
0: And just the mundane settings too, like the shooting yeah. around Los Angeles locations and they just feel kind of sterile and empty. And just the, the notion that the, the greatest horror you can imagine is in a causeway.
1: Yeah, it's not out there like in outer space or with these other people somewhere else, you know, in this heightened universe. It's like, right, it's your neighbor. Or um, I think Stephen King does a pretty good job with that too, where he brings it into your living room like the scary stuff, you know, like um, it is just like, you know, it could be just sort of suburban fear of the other or whatever. But it, it feels very, um, yeah, story about regular people in the world, like trying to live their life. And then this evil comes in rather than stories about, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um, and it's an evil you yeah. can see from your front window. Yep. that's that's the thing that got me on this on the rewatch It's just like oh that's brilliant that's just it's there. it's just yeah. there. you can't understand it. It takes the whole movie for us to figure out how it works and you know it's the it's the house in the grudge right you don't actually have to do anything to offend the spirits you just have to come in and yeah then, and then that's it and yeah. the idea that there's some you can try to bargain with it but it won't do what you want it to do and mm-hmm. the idea of sacrifice becomes pointless. Yep. because you don't actually understand what it is you're sacrificing yourself to and and this yeah this weight just keeps building in, over the course of the film I' really I'm kind of amazed at how well it holds up too given everything else in you know, like in the rear view
1: yeah that yeah that final shot the spider I mean that the thing it's yeah. All, yeah it's all set up so that when that happens you're like nah! you know it, oh god um yeah I mean, I could talk about the the film forever. I think the last thing I wanted to mention before I forget was how I don't I want I don't want to say this in like a woo woo way, but uh, I guess spiritual his work is. Yeah, you had alluded to that. Yeah the 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 finale of oh my god <laughs> Midnight Mass uh, manages to, to 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 really like talk about the wonderful things of religious life and the courage that all of that takes while also criticizing the church. But that ending manages to both be sort of apocalyptically terrible and hopeful at the same time. But I think a lot of, um, a lot of horror movies are kind of like punk songs, either where they're just kind of like about chaos and the unknowable and all this stuff. And I think that I, I love those movies, but his feel more, uh, I don't want to use the word adult like that but they have a maturity to them where you can't just punch the monster in the face and then cheer. And then it's all over. It's about like acceptance of death, acceptance of disease and your own fate. And, um, I mean, the, the, the ending of that TV show, the the characters knew they were all going to die and they kept fighting anyway. Um, there was just something different about it. Like you were the, um, yeah, I guess it, there's a maturity to it of a life lived and like fought. And that's the part I think that I like the most. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it, it they they feel very much like uh, really have something to say in that regard. And then that's the, that's the thing that I uh, love the most. To me, it sort of ties together a lot of his work in a way that feels very auteur driven um, and that I really look up to, yeah.
0: The thing I take away from them is that there's no nobility in triumph, right? Like you'll maybe mm. you'll pull a couple more years of existence out of whatever you're doing right now. There's mm-hmm. there's a it's not hopeless though because those years are valuable and the, mm-hmm. the time you have is is important. Even in Absentia, she's she's moved on in her way. Mm-hmm. Um, her Trisha lost her husband seven years ago to something she still doesn't understand. They've had him declared dead, and she is sort of moving forward with the detective who's ostensibly in charge of the missing persons case, which is yep. both kind of weird. Like, you can understand <laughs> why she would find it weird mm-hmm. to explain to her sister. Uh-huh. But from their performances, you can tell that it... It evolved organically. This is a man who saw her at her worst and fell in love with her and mm-hmm. she's she's not sure how she feels about him, but she's probably carrying his child, like she's carrying somebody maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> this supporting character who in any other version of this movie is just an interference. Like he's mm-hmm. a dingus who's in the way. Yep. But he understands his place and respects her enough to say that he'll still be there if she needs him. But he's stepping away. So weird, right? Like
1: people really trying to do their best, not just. All being it's like to be dramatic everybody has to be a dick and you know or whatever and he he changes that yeah yeah
0: and his his story from his perspective is a feature in itself like that's another Mm -hmm. movie that we just aren't privy to where this Mm -hmm. this man falls in love with a a woman with a tragic story Mm -hmm. and 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 then she just disappears and he has to live with that Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. he is like literally haunted by everything he didn't do by the end of the film and we see Mm -hmm. it and it lands and he becomes the the most tragic of of all the characters because he's denied that explanation. It's just, it's such a strange little pirouette for the, for the story to take in the end, but you really feel it land.
1: Yeah. And I love that you brought him up because I think he, this is another thing that he does relatively consistently is that after I watched Hill house, um, I wrote, I wrote a bunch of notes and I wrote, one of them was we are only with characters we care about. And That show is basically the five, you know, six, seven characters and no one else exists. Like one or two characters appear, but it's 10 hours of the same people we love, which I feel like in a lot of horror movies are the pusher, but then there's all, there's the cops and there's the thing and there's the people and there's all these other people that die or, you know, hang out or the hangers on or the, and you don't get to spend time that much time with people you, you know, um developed characters yeah and the people that you want to be with you have to sort of wait for the plot to go back to the people you like
0: yeah i think that's a way of of making it easier for the audience to to mm-hmm. know that this isn't you know like, this is just a genre picture and nothing bad is really you, you can go home when this is over and return to your lives and i'm not trying mm-hmm. to actually disturb you yeah um, those are the conventions that make all that stuff possible
1: yeah he's very um i don't know i don't know how to say this he's, I feel like he's fair (laughs) to his audience. Where he occasionally surprises them, but,
0: yeah. And he's fair to his characters too, because they earn their victories when when those victories happen, or we understand Mm -hmm. their motivations when they don't. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's just that so much of his idea of horror is rooted in loss. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, even changing the ending of Dr. Sleep so it's just a little bit sadder and yeah. just, just tweaking it. He fixes a lot of other things about the book too, but mm-hmm. then refuses to give the audience a triumph. Instead, there is a victory, but it comes at a cost and, and yeah. the characters are okay with it, which was really quite striking.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's again, it's that like difficult truths at the end and not easy answers in that way.
0: Yeah, and, and of course the, the beauty of any horror movie is that it makes a place for these things. and It, it carves mm-hmm. out a space where you can interact with them and believe them for 90 minutes or whatever and then just go home to your, to your I bed. know,
1: and then you get, it's like a package nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> then you can survive, hopefully. Um, there was one, oh, there, that was what I was thinking about. He he also does this uh, trick in terms of characters and like being with people we like. Um, Uh, This is the way I see it, which is that like, in any given circumstance, given any choice, you make a character more likable rather than like when two equal things are presented to you, you make a character do something to help their buddy out, not because they want to get rich and famous. Or you like, do you have a character that like doesn't show up to something because they're hiding something to help? Like it's always like when in doubt, go in the direction of someone that you're rooting for to protect their son or to do something else rather than seek fame and fortune, get them all the monies or do all these other things. And and I think that that has like a compounding effect so that by the time towards the end of a TV show or movie, you're just like, I want these people to, you know, I really, really love these people. But I, I mean, maybe that's me being a softy or something.
0: it's Norm interrupting my own show to tell you about the latest Shiny Things newsletter, my weekly dispatch about physical media, culture, and maybe even the odd streaming show. This week, I wrote about the end of Better Call Saul, the Blu-ray release of David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, and how much fun Tatiana Maslany is having as Marvel's She-Hulk. Subscribe for the price of a latte at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. Did you miss reading me here and there? I miss writing. Come check it out. It's better to invest in characters who are worthy of that investment, right? Like, you, you, yeah. they're having just finished Better Call Saul this week. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. anti heroes, they're amazing. But the beauty of that show is that you can watch someone convince themselves that the worst possible decision is actually going to help him or help someone mm-hmm. else, right? Like, it's just constantly reinforcing his own behavior by screaming about altruism when mm-hmm. there isn't any and, and it twins up nicely with Breaking Bad where everything that Walter White does is ostensibly for his family but it stops mm-hmm. being about that really early on yeah 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 but if you are legitimately trying to do the best thing um, and and I'm thinking about Ari Aster's films which are always rooted in people trying to recover from something and then finding mm-hmm. a greater horror in their next mm-hmm. stage of their evolution mm-hmm. as, or their emotional development mm-hmm. Um you walk into everything with the best of intentions and you just get hit in the face by a board um, <laughs> Yeah, and it's awful it's like Callie's journey back from whatever substance abuse issues she's had where her sister is worried if she opens a beer in her presence that it might mm-hmm. set her off and everybody's treating her so delicately only to have this land on her and immediately take advantage in its way of the fact that no one will believe her yeah, yeah. Is just genuine tragedy. And, and yep. that could be applied to almost any situation, horror or otherwise, right? That's something mm-hmm. I can imagine myself experiencing. And so you add the insidious nature of what's really going on, and that's just, it's almost unbelievably cruel to put this character through those paces. But yeah, Flanagan ah. loves her and wants her to win.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really interesting. So this is like a Rorschach test, and I'm fascinated by it because I feel like, there's, I, I'm, I feel like there's sort of a spectrum of people. Uh, anyway, well, I'll just ask you the question. Cause I think this is really interesting. So go wherever you want to go. I was, I was in a debate with, um, um, a colleague about this and it was about succession, I think, which I sort of watch because it's so good, but I also sort of hate watch it because I kind of hate all the characters. Except sometimes I like them, but it goes in and out. But I, um, I was like, you know, I was like, I have a really hard time watching a show when I don't care about the characters or are rooting for them. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I actually had to turn off Breaking Bad a lot. And then, because at some point, both Jesse and he were, I was like, I just, I, I don't care about you. You know, I, I feel like, and so I stopped, but then I was like, oh, I know it's really good. So I'll like it again. <laughs> and then eventually they hooked me in again with something something else. And someone was like, oh, well, of course you want to just watch to see what happens next. And I was like, why would I, it's like, why would you watch a basketball game if you're not rooting for one side or the other? And they were like, to see who wins. And I was like, but why would you care if you're not, you know.
0: Oh no, it's the essential divide in in sports, entertainment and anything, right? Like if you, some people
1: don't need a vested interest. And it's fascinating to me. I guess I feel like it makes me feel like such a softy or something. But where do you follow this do you know about yourself? Are you following the yeah, spectrum? I do.
0: I, I had that with Mad Men because it lays out mm-hmm. the, Mad Men and mm-hmm. the Sopranos both actually just sort of lay out their characters in the pilot and then just reiterate their points. You know, Don Draper can sell happiness to anyone but not experience it himself. It's great. Mm-hmm. Do you do you need me for another seven seasons? Because I've got <laughs> stuff to do. Like I <laughs> I understand the like I understand the appeal of watching people come at him and challenge him and and be obstacles or enable him as as things go in the whole Sterling Cooper world and all that stuff that gets built out. It's all Mm -hmm. very busy, but when you're dealing with a central character, and they do keep coming back to the central character of Don Draper, who is not going to change no matter how Mm -hmm. badly he says he wants to, I just found it exhausting. And then it was also the the rearview mirror aspect of you know look how dumb everybody was in 1960 that they didn't know what gay people looked like and they didn't understand yeah. closeting. It's like yeah okay I I get it I understand the commentary but it's it's not exactly it's not entertaining to me to to be smug about where, how far we've come now when I know we're not nearly where we could be and yeah and the, yeah the parallels aren't necessarily very artful and and yeah that and the Sopranos too where. You know, as much as I appreciate what David Chase was doing, mm-hmm. I got Goodfellas, and it's over in two and a half hours. Like that's <laughs> so it's all, brutal. It's so all many there. sick burns it's all, going on
1: right all now. there. All <laughs> there.
0: Um, and I, you know, Gandolfini's great. A lot of the other performances are fantastic, but I just there was no emotional investment because it was so clear that he's never going to change. He's going to use the therapy as an excuse and get worse, uh-huh. and that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was interesting. I was talking to someone about the show that I just did that did nothing for me. And I, I, we were trying to figure out why they loved it. And they were like, I just feel like the character is me somehow or a version of me that's terrible. Sure. Yeah. And so I can watch this id play out and get punished in a way that's satisfying.
0: Oh, I get that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that Tony did it more for me than Don Draper. Like with him, the depression. I don't know. I mean, you know, something about I mean, I'm nothing like Tony Soprano, but there was something about masculinity in there that I felt—I don't know. But I watched it again, and I was like, "God, these characters are are hard to, you know, like <laughs> deal with sometimes." Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, that is such an interesting thing. I—I I have this extremely stupid, cockamamie theory that, like, that—that that sometimes shows or whatever really click because it's like inside. This sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. Maybe I should, Okay, I won't keep it to myself, just no, in no, case no, someone wants to laugh at it. This idea that, like, inside your head, you have this sort of mini pantheon, like Jungian pantheon of the asshole and all these different types of versions of you. Sure. And I think when I write, I often write just like the sort of per- versions of me as the sort of fractured, you know, prism of. And then you see a show, and they're like, "Oh yeah, all of these are me." They're different versions of me. I see all of them. There's the worst version of me. There's the younger version of me. And then you see some shows and they're like, none of these are me. They're all, I'm all looking at them like interesting, but they're not, I don't have that deep feeling, you know?
0: That's how I felt about You're the Worst, which captures so much about the narcissism and entitlement that I worry that I have. (laughs) And articulates it in just increasingly fun ways. Uh um, And uh, whereas something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I've watched all along, I've never felt that I identify with any of the characters, but I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm watching it for the, the elegance with which they play out the concept. Because uh-huh. I like all of those actors. I love the idea. And the fact that they do keep coming up with in-character ways to be worse than they were last season is uh-huh. kind of remarkable. And I'm just <laughs> sort of, I, I'm agog at it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel like I see myself in any of them.
1: Yeah, I guess I was thinking of I mean, now I'm starting to map like even something like Rick and Morty. I'm like, I see. I see it. I see young, you know, like there's some sort of, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's it's hard to describe, but like there's something very deep about all that. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just like a BuzzFeed test or something. Yeah, it's (laughs) Um, both.
0: I think it's culture is both at this point.
1: mm -hmm. Yeah. God help us. God help
0: us all. But this does get us to your work, to to how you express yourself in your own films. And yeah, the the films you've made are very, very similar to to Flanagan's in that they are kind of emotional horror stories about people Mm -hmm. pushed by external and internal pressures. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, was absentia like was it like a lightning bolt moment for you when you saw it, that this was possible or were you already kind of working towards that?
1: I think so. So they look like people was supposed to be basically a drama about failure in your twenties, uh, based a little bit on a friend of mine who, um, went through this period of sort of psychosis because of a, you know, uh, like medical drugs he was taking and a bunch of bad life stuff happened at once. Um, and there was a period where he told me later that if he didn't have like family or or me or good friends that he may have, you know, sort of gone off the deep end. And I was like, okay, it's a story of this one week where the character like might or might not sort of go to jail or something worse. And if friendship can save it, that was sort of the, the idea when I started it. But then the more I researched schizophrenia and the more I, I've mentioned this somewhere else, but there's a video, I think PBS did it. That is a. It was like an old virtual reality recreation of what it's like to be a schizophrenic. This was in like the nineties, I think. So it's very cheesy in some ways, but it was so frightening. Uh, And it was so frightening in a way that I don't think I, it was like a nightmare that you could never turn off. And the never turning it off, I think was the thing that was so upsetting because you just can't even, you can't hug your Like you can't, there's no reality anymore other than the nightmare. There, there's no other, other than the nightmare. And it was so unbearable that I, I thought, okay, I want to be true. I want to do a lot of all my research and be as true as I can to this and make sure that this character is really, we see it from his perspective and we feel for him rather than just having him be this other. Um, Cause I love making stories about internal states made external, like a monster or any kind of genre stuff. And I love, um, like, subjective stuff. Like, I, I remember watching Requiem for a Dream when I was 17 or something, and I really felt like I was tripping. I mean, it was amazing. It was like movie. a movie can, you know, there's such empathy machines that you can really put yourself in the shoes of someone else. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love doing that, being able to be inside other people's brains, kind of. And so it just wound up being scary, <laughs> me really realizing it. Yeah. But I but I had a lot of pause about that until I saw his film. When I realized you could, you know, the horror gave the drama teeth and muscle. And the drama gave the horror soul and heart. And I thought that they, instead of running parallel, they like hybridized to something better than either of what they could be on their own. Um and that you could still do something really scary, but maintain a heart and a soul within it. Um, and in fact, by the time you got to the heart, it felt really hard won rather than just handed to you on a platter. And I um so after that, I, you know, I kept working sort of in this space. It's funny because we we shot Siren actually before they looked like people even came out. So we had no idea if it would ever be released on the world, but we just wanted to make another film. So We shot that one before we actually learned any lessons from the first one, (laughs) Um, and then this third one we—I actually shot this almost four years ago. God, so before the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I I figured that must have been the case. I saw it. I guess I saw it last year at Fantasia. Yeah, is that right? Yeah.
1: But what happened was I we I got some gigs, some writing gigs, and then worked, you know, I sold this TV show through his company. And so that was like a year and a half of working on that. Um, and so then when that, like, now it's sort of circling development. And so I was like, okay, hey, okay, I need to, I need to finish this thing. But it, but it felt, um, it almost felt like resurrecting something uh, from a, from a very dark part of my life that was written extremely fast and written extremely instinctually. Um, so it feels like the editing process almost felt like an exorcism (laughs) where I was taking all this sort of darkness, um, and sort of trying to put it on the screen, uh, and kind of go into, into history. Um, so it's, it's, it's a strange process looking at it now and, and talking about it now. Um, well, it must be I think You're my, an
0: entirely different person.
1: Yes, a very, a very different person. Um, and it was sort of—I think probably the darkest, maybe the darkest moment I had sort of been through. Uh, and I think that that—I think that I cared a lot about. It wasn't just me; it was people that I had lo- I loved, and you know, people in my life. And I really wanted to make the give this experience of what it's like to be in that state of anxiety and unable to kind of handle the world as it is and that sort of overwhelm and kind of the sort of, you know, with the sound, the kind of sonic assault mm-hmm. and and really give this feeling of um, there's a moment early on that the, about 17 minutes in there something sort of shocking happens. And I tried to replicate a feeling I had when I had this pretty bad car crash a few years ago, where, you think you're going to react differently. You think you're going to be scared. You think, I don't know what you. I think I would be like, but it it became extremely surreal. Like everything got really flat and I sort of felt like it wasn't me that was talking, but I was sort of a character in a video game kind of just existing in it. Disassociation. Thing, yeah, I guess that's what it was. I, I'm not smart enough to know exactly what it was, but it, it was definitely like, very um, distinct feeling and everything got very vivid. Um, And I tried to make, I tried to do that. So I think I, someone watched the movie and was like, geez, that was like a lot. And I was like, I know it's a lot. It's like, it's like an intense, it's like an assault in some, I mean, you know, really feeling that sort of claustrophobia of that state of anxiety and panic, that sort of panic of loneliness and like being by yourself in a, in a monstrous world.
0: Yeah, and then you've added real monsters, so yeah, that just that sort of <laughs> makes the metaphor concrete, but it also, it makes it, in a way, it makes it a little bit easier to watch, because if there's something supernatural, then I don't have to invest my own reality, but also, mm-hmm. if there is something supernatural, then that changes the, the entire calculus of the film and I have no idea what's going to happen next. I, I'm thinking about something like Lodge Kerrigan's Keen or Clean-Shaven where uh-huh, uh-huh. you're similarly suffering right along with the protagonist. You never leave their heads, mm-hmm. but without the release of genre,
1: it's exactly. just, it's yep.
0: excruciating, right? At least if there's a monster, I can occasionally think about the monster. I can just yeah, get out. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's a, that's a good way of saying it because I actually have sort of a hard time with movies like that, which is ironic, given that I wanted to, talk, to do the same thing, but I think um, no, the monster is your coping strategy. I absolutely it does, get it. Yeah, it does. Yes, like it's definitely a coping mechanism to Like, you know, I was reading about—I don't know—I shouldn't start too many sentences with "I was reading about" because it makes me feel like I, you know, I don't know. It's sort of like when people said, "Like, so I was listening to a podcast," and and I'm like, "Oh no," uh, you yeah, know. That's all we do now. It's fine. <laughs> um. Uh. And I think that this idea, someone, I, I learned that when you're lonely, it, it triggers the same receptors as physical pain, um, which I don't know if that's real, but it feels true. <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> Experientially. And it, and it's sort of like the loneliness I felt, felt like I was being bludgeoned kind of. And part of the movie was like, what if there was actually a bludgeoning out there that I could hit with my fists back against? And like, what would that be like? because it would feel great (laughs) to be able to hit it with fists, you know? Yeah. And it gives us um, hope
0: too, right? Because if there is something that is the physical embodiment of depression, then we can all fight back.
1: Yeah. We can, you know, we can take a baseball bat, you know, and especially in a movie where like, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a real, I'm not a great puncher in real life, but my like fantasy version of myself is a great puncher, you know? And so this, this sort of like um, this almost sort of weird adolescent fantasy that that wilson gets into of like yeah i can be this like dark superhero and fight back you know uh and how the kind of in some ways he kind of needs that to get through what he's going through mm-hmm. well yeah like you said coping mechanism and in the other way it's not i think in the times in my life where I've wanted to be a dark superhero when I was in my early time. I mean, it usually doesn't end very well. Um, maybe it's ended well for someone, but not for me anyway.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah. Self-knowledge is important for these things, I think.
1: Yeah. It, you, you run out of runway at some point, I think. I was talking to someone about this. I would interesting to hear what what you think, but, and I don't know if it's a male thing because uh, I'm not sure, you know, I've only lived as me, but mm-hmm there's this moment when you're young, especially if you're like a nice guy or something where you sort of are confronted with the fact that the world isn't particularly nice and you have a choice, which is to either kind of hope that it gets better or to kind of be like, okay, it's time to get real. It's time to like, if the world is monstrous, I got to be monstrous back. Otherwise I'm going to get run over, you know? Um, And you sort of go through almost like a second, or at least this happened to me, go through like a second adolescence where you're like, okay, time to be like, uh, yeah, you know, fuck everybody. And then you, for sometimes for a while, it actually kind of works. And the more it works, the worse it is. Yeah. <laughs> because then it's actually reinforcing all the terrible decisions you make. Yeah. Um, in
0: certain disciplines, it can serve you really well for a short time, I've discovered. Yeah. Not for me. I've never been like, I was a journalist for decades, and that's just. Being an asshole just means people don't want to talk to you. It's, it really yeah. quickly works against the thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. But then there are, you know, like sales agents where steamrolling people is the whole point. That's yeah. that's where you think, like, whether it's car sales or movie yeah. reps or. I've dealt with publicists. Like there were people in the 90s who were coming off the Miramax juggernaut and just convinced mm-hmm. that that was the way to be. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is just establish your dominance by any means necessary even if that just means being an absolute dick to people and yeah it never like they never lasted they got what they wanted in the moment but that was the extent of it
1: yeah and it's like and sometimes you you know wilson i the, the character is sort of like the me some like version of me that was like very like when i was a kid sort of or something like that doesn't want to grow up because and you know i did you know sometimes i felt like kind of shaking him and be like you know just get your shit together man (laughs) you know like um you know it's not the world isn't lord of the rings like come on yeah at some point you have to face this fact um and and i think there's a very necessary aspect of that you need to be able to protect those you love you need to be able to stand up for stuff you know um and i think that that fight between knowing how to be soft like to remain soft enough to love and to be a kid, you know. And also hard enough to be able to live in the world that is not easy is the struggle. And so I, you know, I went too far when I was in my early twenties and I had enough good friends and my girlfriend at the time that sort of sat me down or like whatever is going on here needs to fucking stop. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't need to, but we'll stop hanging out with you. Like we, we just, you know, it's too much, too much. Um, so, you know, but that that definitely that like ping pong kind of between feeling not tough enough and then g- g- becoming an asshole and sort of finding a balance there. Um, part of the movie was about that. And, and Daphne being this character that was kind of like the you that you want to be or, or someone that you look up to that's like, stop, stop whining, stop, you know, crying, stop fucking, you know, being you. <laughs> like, and, you know... Uh, you know,
0: find the version of yourself that I want to be around. That doesn't
1: suck. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not the worst way to live, honestly. I mean, I have to admit that most of my life as a mature adult, in air quotes, is just like, (laughs) what would a good person do? And then doing that.
1: And eventually people think you're good and it works. Yeah, that is a, that that sounds very, um so
0: think um, is what it sounds like no it's
1: now that it's I'm a, hearing it out loud <laughs> it's a it's i think that's Marcus Aurelius or some ver, or like a um i went through a period uh where i had a big health scare when i was younger um lifelong atheist and then i just started to read you can sort of see it in the film like you know especially stoicism um thomas merton uh tolstoy all this stuff kind of like get me got me through a really hard time and so that that is a very good, that's, you know, as far as one sentence life philosophies, I feel like you could do way worse than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: That, and if that slips into your cinema, then other people will be the better for it.
1: Yes. Although I, you know, I think um, it's tough. I, th- there's, I don't quite know how to talk about this because it's sort of weird territory, but I, it's been exciting to me to see horror movies have a lot more purpose behind them recently. Yeah, I know. I think mean. there is so much to mine in there. I'm also wary of of kind of flattening experiences, or um, I don't know. There was a version of this story that could be very exploitative, and also very didactic somehow. Uh, so I think with this, I I try to talk about the stuff I love, the stuff that I, my loved ones went through. Um, but have it be like, you know, specific to the characters and specific to this journey so that when, you know, the monster is sort of defeated, but then it kind of comes back, that feels very personal. Because um, I, I think I know you think I think you know what I mean. There's there, It's like it becomes a pilgrim's progress sometimes, if you know, if you don't uh, if you don't stay true to the characters or whatever.
0: Yeah. the The fight's never really over. It's just a different monster.
1: Yeah. Yeah again these are very good quotes I feel like I want to put <laughs> I, feel like I want to put these on like you know the jacket or something oh help um, yourself
0: go for it we share the rights to this episode
1: <laughs> <laughs> no well this is I mean the, the movie uh you know I talked about this in, in before but uh yeah it's it's sort of wonderful looking back on it now uh the the actors uh you know coming back to absentia I'm realizing talking through this there were two big things I learned. I mean, there's a lot, but two things that were sort of foundational to my later work. Um, one was this idea that that genre and heartfelt human drama could, could sort of hybridize and make something even more exciting for me. Um, because sometimes genre to me feels more real than reality. Because our world, you know, when you're angry, the world feels on fire. And when you know, someone doesn't like you, someone doesn't like you, it feels like the world's falling apart. Um, and the second thing is, is, is that looking at all the interviews with him and talking to him after the fact, there's this myth that you have to make movies. There's this myth that, that to make art, it has to be like, everyone hates each other and people want to die and like everyone's manipulating each other and all this stuff. Um, And the way that he works and the sort of crew that he has around him just made me think like, okay, here's someone I can look to that is that is telling me that you don't have to do it like that. That it can be lifelong working relationships that get stronger with each movie, that you get a shorthand and there's a lot of trust. Um, And that's what we sort of built with our little team. And it's exciting to expand. You know, there's like bigger movies on the horizon and TV shows and stuff. But um, I think about uh, Benson and Moorhead a little bit, too, where they're they're like. God, I wanna see I wanna see their new film so bad, the, the dirt too. one. Yeah. Um yeah. but this idea of like like it doesn't have to be terrible. The movie subject matter is difficult enough.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it exactly. It can be cathartic without being a catharsis off stage. Right? Yeah. Like you, you save it all. It's it's people like Cronenberg and Lynch, and I've just talked about this and I think in another episode, and John Waters, where they get it all out and they're just the nicest, calmest people in Uh the world, and they're going out there and they're working with people and making people's, like they're making actors' lives better by doing the Mm -hmm. way, doing things the way they do it. And they're just, and they're all of a certain age too, where it's just like, I don't have time. I don't have time to argue. I work with, like, just like, yeah. Yeah, Cronenberg works with Viggo Mortensen because they shared the same sense of humor. And and you see it,
1: you see it paying (laughs) out. It's just, it's lovely. I was talking to some sort of, uh i'm trying to figure out a way to say this doesn't sound douchey like relatively famous person okay and they were like man i just had a kid i'm just tired like i just want to make cool stuff with people i like like really fun great stuff that i feel good about you know like life's too short to like have this shit suck like let's let's make it awesome and do it with people that we get along with um yeah I guess that's a good, that's a good, uh, (laughs) we came around, we came around about at the end here. That's a good way to wrap things up.
0: Yeah, it's a great motto. And, and, you know, that plus don't be an asshole. Those are basically the only rules I care about anymore.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: My thanks to Perry Blackshear, whose new movie, When I Consume You, is available now on digital and on demand. It's a concentrated atmospheric creeper with a compelling story and quietly heartfelt performances by Evan Dumichel and Libby Ewing. And you should see it. Thanks also to Kayla Heyer. She knows what she did. You can follow Perry and his team on Twitter at looklikepeople, all one word, and you can find Absentia on DVD from Phase 4 Films, and it's also streaming in the U.S. on Tubi, and it's available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms in the U.S. and Canada. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for 20 bucks at payhip.com semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of someone else's movie, 46 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.